The Lord is good and He's worthy to be praised. Let's give Him some praise today with our hands. I just, I believe in praising the Lord. Amen. 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 Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. The Bible teaches us how worthy Christ is. And today we're going to break from our series in Nehemiah. And we're going to share today in our All About Him Sunday. Uh, We're going to talk about in Him all things hold together. In Him all things hold together. Now I want you to look at somebody and say, Neighbor, in Him all things hold together, including you. Amen. Today, across the Bethel Church landscape, uh, here in Gary and in Cedar Lake and at Crown Point, uh, all of our pastors are preaching this same message. Uh, amen. Praise God for that. That's <clears throat> it is incredibly unifying for us to, to be able to share our messages together. Amen. It's my wife, you all, and I... Give my preaching towel. That's right. Thank you, honey. Yeah, she's good looking too, isn't she? All right. This Friday will be 10 years for us. (laughs) I am in awe every day that she stays with me. I'm just... (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But all across, we're we're preaching this same message. It's a great unifying theme for our church. And um, the text of the the message comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 uh, through 17. And I'm going to read these words to us today. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and from him. And here's the passage that we really want to focus on today. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. The glory and majesty of Jesus Christ is magnificent from any and every angle. Eighteen years ago, when Pastor Steve DeWitt became the senior pastor of Bethel Church, his first message to the church was that it's all about him. And so for 18 years, Bethel Church has celebrated the magnificence and the majesty of Jesus Christ. You may ask, how can we do so? How can we do this 18 straight years and not run out of things over which we can and should rejoice? Actually, we haven't even begun. We haven't begun to even scratch the surface of things that we can say about Jesus Christ. All eternity will not be sufficient for us to see and savor his glory in all its fullness. As the hymn Amazing Grace says in this one stanza, when we've been there 
10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Amen. I wonder if we realize why 10,000 years will not be enough. It is not because we shall suddenly not have time. It is because we will forever be seeing and learning new and greater dimensions of our Lord's being. 10,000 or 100,000 years simply will not suffice. So no, we're not running out of material. And in this 18th celebration, we've no less ways to sing his praise than when we first begun. Now, my brothers and sisters, as we think about this idea of all things hold together in him, I want to share with you that scientists and philosophers down through the ages have searched in vain for what some people call the theory of everything. They're looking for one mathematical formula that, uh, or some uniting principle that explains all of this reality. In our modern day, physicist and author Stephen Hawking has sought to discover this and has written extensively on related subjects, so much so that this November a movie about Hawking's life is coming out. You know what the title is? The theory of everything. Philosophers look for it. And really when you get down to it, every one of us on the inside is looking for that same thing. How do we make sense? How does everything hold together? We even disguise it by making comments like, I'm just looking for answers. What's life all about? I have to go and find myself. That's the one I like, you know. We use that all the time, you know. Somebody was breaking up with you and they told you that, right? <laughs> I have to go find myself. And that's really a code word or code phrase for saying, I have to find something other than me for which to live. Philosophers, physicists, and the rest of us, we're all the same. We need a point of reference. We need a glue. We need a gravitational center that pulls all of the fragments of life into a cohesive whole. Now, if you say things like that in public, your friends will say you need religion. And in some ways, religion is man's attempt to make sense of things. We live in a world of disorder and chaos It is very hard to look at the world we live in and make sense of things. Think of the news of this week alone, the last couple of weeks, beheadings and violence and and riots and unrest. We wonder, is there anything to make sense of all of this? Recently, I was asked what my response would be to what was going on in Ferguson, Missouri. And I want to share with you what my response is right now. I want to tell you that racism is a sin. Amen. Amen. And it's a sin by whoever does it. 
It's a sin and we need to treat it like a sin. Every sin will eventually manifest itself into some social problem. And we have to treat it like a sin. And so they asked me, what would, what would you say? I say, I miss Dr. Martin Luther King. And let me tell you why I miss him. I miss him because if he was in Ferguson, Missouri, I am convinced that he would say that the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. The gospel teaches us do good to them that do evil to you. The Bible says forgive because you've been forgiven. You get this, don't you? We need a gospel voice because Jesus holds all things together. So, so we wonder what makes sense of this? What do we think about when we consider the galaxies, the oceans, the mountains, human life, love, meaning, and destiny? Is there anything that can make sense of it all, anything or anyone that unifies everything into one thing? We turn to Colossians 1 for God's answer to our question. Verse 15 and following, God answers the theory of everything by pointing us toward a person. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And verse 18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Before us is one of the richest Christocentric passages in all of Scripture. Many commentators think that it was a poem or even even a first century worship song. Easy for a Christian's heart to sing through the lyric as celebrating the various facets of the person and work of Jesus. There's too much in this passage for one sermon. We could preach all, all winter, all summer, all spring, all fall, and still not cover everything in this passage. But this is an all about him message. And it focuses on verse 17. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And that last phrase has our attention, but it's part of a sentence. Notice the first clause. He is before all things. This comes following a catalog of physical and spiritual dimensions that that Paul lays out. The created world, the spiritual world, the angelic world. All of it was created by Christ. Before all things means chronologically Jesus was prior to all. That is not God. He was prior to all that is not God. In the beginning was the word, John 1 and 1. And the word was with God and the word was God. The word is a title for the second person of the Trinity, the son of God, the Christ, whose given human name is Jesus. Scripture says Jesus made 
everything and was before it. This keeps our faith, Christianity, from collapsing into what is known as pantheism. And pantheism is really about looking at trying to find and make a God out of everything. But, but no God, no, 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 no God, no God that is truly God is separate from creation. And our God, truly God, is not separate from his creation. The ancients were fascinated with one question of the origin of things. Charles Darwin, origin of species, attributes evolution as the theory of beginnings for all things living. He would not have agreed. Darwin would not have agreed with Colossians 1 and 17. He would not have understood that there is a supernatural explanation for the origin of species He would still tell us that we started as a one cell amoeba in a globule of mass and somehow mankind came from that. And I just say to Darwin that monkeys are not becoming people. I've been to the zoo. (laughs) Never got to one zoo and it's like, oh, look at there, there's a guy in the cage now. How did that happen? (laughs) But we believe precisely that God through Jesus created all things. All that is not God was made by God through the agency and creative power of the son of God. It is the last phrase that we want to focus on here. In him, all things hold together. Just four words. Four words in the Greek New Testament. Literally, it means All in him holds together. The verb is the key to the meaning. Holds together. Its tense means a past action that is continuing or ongoing. Its definition is to take separate parts and unite them. To band them together. Hold them together. For example, the earth with its gravity holds the moon. The sun with its gravitational pull pull, holds the planets. The Milky Way holds the solar system. There is a gravitational power that unites these apparent separate entities into one. Whenever there are separate entities united, there's always something that does the uniting. After describing every dimension of reality and making Jesus the causal and creative agent behind it, Scripture takes it to another level. Not only is he the creative genius and power behind the existence of everything, he is the ongoing sustainer and center of all things. Praise God. note, Note here, note here. The word all. It's the same word in our phrase. It's all about him. All means all. It is we who want to categorize our religion and to put it in a separate category. Typically somewhere that doesn't interfere with the rest of life. You know how we do. You know, we try to separate church from life. When something in life happens, we don't have a Christ response, but a flesh response. Amen. 
Your job tells you they're going to change your responsibilities and there's a flesh response. I've been doing the same thing for 20 years. How dare you change? Where's the Christ response? In all things, he holds them together. And so we, we, we try to, our society wants to do the same thing. They don't mind us saying whatever we want to say inside our church buildings. But when what we believe in here has the audacity to be uttered out there. Oh my, that's when you create a firestorm. What lies behind the desire to separate absolutely church and state? Or these ridiculous examples like the girl this week who was suspended from school for saying, God bless you, at school when her friend sneezed. How crazy is that? I don't know about you, but when, when I went to school, when I went to school, we prayed. Even though, even though we weren't supposed to have prayer, our teacher prayed with us in the morning. Our teacher would say, Raymond... I'm putting you in the hands of God. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I just, I'm telling you right now, I wasn't always a preacher. I just want you to know that. <laughs> and so, and so the, you know, these things are going on. John 3.19 says, as men love darkness. 3.19 says, men love darkness rather than light. Sinners want separation. And categories where truth doesn't cross over, where light doesn't interfere with our hobbies, our money, or our sins of preference. Sin breaks. Sin fragments. And sinners always want those divisions so that whatever light of truth the gospel may cast, it's kept from interfering with the rest of life. Then you have a statement like this made in scripture. It says, in him, all things hold together. Jesus unites all realities, all categories, all dimensions, all people, all philosophies, all ideologies, all kingdoms, all thrones, all rulers, all presidents, all kings, all times, all the living. When I get to something, you know, just say something. All the dead, all heaven, all hell, and everything else. He holds all these things together by the blazing glory of his person and the infinite power of his mighty hand. He is the defining reality of everything. He is the reference point of everything. He is the plumb line of truth. He is the middle sea of all that is beautiful and good in this world. Everything that is, is what it is in relation to who he is. He defines everything. This isn't to say he sanctions everything, for he is also the judge of all men. Rather, everything that is defined in relation to who he is. His truthfulness defines what is false. His holiness defines what is sin. His wisdom defines what is folly. His love defines hate and his judgments are are the final word and say on everything. By him, all things 
are held together means everything and everyone. And as we said, including you and me. Now, there are four areas where this is true. And I want to just get through those quickly today for you. I want to give you some examples in the world where you can see how he holds all things together. First, let's look at the cosmos and the universe. This is the main focus of the text. Christ's power is the power that holds the universe together. Other passages say the same thing. Hebrews 1 and 3 says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This staggers our mind to think that the expanse of the universe, all galaxies and all solar systems and every living creature, every molecule, every atom is sustained and supplied by power that is sourced in Christ. That is that is amazing to think about. Everything. The other day I was walking through a parking lot. And I saw a snail in a parking lot or a slug or whatever you want to call it. And I'm thinking to myself, you in a bad place. <laughs> Anything move that slow don't need to be anywhere where cars are driving. I'm just saying. But even that is held together by Christ. Consider the expanse of this universe. As an example, in 2003, the Hubble telescope set itself for the longest and deepest look into the universe. From September 24th through January 16th, 2004, it performed nearly one million seconds of exposure. In that one frame, one little fragment of the sky, researchers counted 10,000 galaxies. Wow is right. (laughs) doing the math for the observable sky and as deep as we can see at this point, the whole area of the sky totaled 200 billion galaxies and our Milky Way is just one of them. And you thought a Milky Way was just a candy bar. (laughs) The average galaxy contains 200 billion stars giving the observable universe to contain 40 to 50 billion trillion I don't even know what, how to even say that. <laughs> 40 to 50 billion trillion stars or solar systems. That's just what we can see. Now, let me illustrate it like this. If every star were a dime, the dimes would be as tall as that Sears or the Willis Tower in Chicago and would cover the entire North American continent. Each dime a star with its own solar system and planets and moons. That is beyond our comprehension. That one planet in one solar system of one star in one galaxy of 200 billion is where the Son of God incarnated and died for the inhabitants of that one planet. It is the psalmist who wrote, What is man? That you are mindful of him. By him, all things hold together. So not only in the cosmos, but also in Scripture. Scripture, not just the natural revelation, but he is the uniting reality of God's written revelation called the Bible. How do we know this? Jesus said so. He said this in John 5 and 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them 
you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. One of the keys to understanding the Bible is to understand the central thread or melody line that is seen and heard in both Testaments. The Old Testament is lengthy and has many divergent literary genres and eras and authors. But through all of these, there is a central unifying theme. It is there. At times, it's in the background. At times, he is in the foreground. Isaiah 53 is an example of this. Jesus says in John 5, you think that the scripture are means to eternal life and you study them diligently. What you are missing is the central theme. It is about me. So he says, they all bear witness to me, says the Lord. Two disciples heard the most magnificent expositional sermon ever given. It was Resurrection Sunday, the first Resurrection Sunday. Two disciples were walking along a road we call the Emmaus Road. They were in intense discussion about the news of sightings of Jesus being alive. Now, understand what that discussion must have been like. Because just that Friday, they had seen him beaten, bruised, and killed, and hung on a cross. And you would think that anybody taken down from the cross in that condition could never be alive. And people were saying saying they had seen him. And they couldn't make sense of this. It seemed unnatural. Death is very natural to us. Resurrection is supernatural. Death, we understand. Resurrection, we don't get. (laughs) They didn't know what to think. And Jesus comes along and he's hiding his identity from them. And he joins them walking and asks them, what are you debating? They tell him, Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. But the reports were coming in of eyewitness accounts of him being alive. We don't understand is what their response was. Listen here to what Jesus says. In Luke 24, 25 through 27, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What have been a joy to hear that sermon? As Jesus literally, literally unpacks himself out of the scripture. Remember when God told Satan, he will crush your head. Jesus is saying, that was me. Remember the rainbow promise to Noah. That was really about me. Remember the ram in the bushes of Abraham sacrificed instead of Isaac. That was a picture of me. Remember Moses, the prophet of the people. A picture of me. Remember the command to sacrifice the lamb on the day of atonement. That was me. Remember when Joshua ran into the Lord of hosts at Jericho. That was me. Remember Boaz who redeemed Ruth. That was me. Remember the promise to David that his son would sit eternal on the throne. I am the son of David. 
Remember in the Psalms when it says he will not let his body see decay. This body is that body. Remember the saviors God sent to his people in Judges. All of them pictured me. Remember this. Remember that. The whole whole of scripture, Jesus says, is about me. The divine revelation of scripture is not just a moral guide to improve living or principles for our best life now. Get in where you fit in on that one. (laughs) Scripture, scripture is a book about Jesus and the unveiling of the glory of the son of God through his incarnation, the cross, resurrection, return and eternal reign. This is not a book. This is not a book about us. I know you think it is. I know you open it up and it gives you so much joy to read the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I know you read it and says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But this is not about us. It's about Jesus. It's a book about Jesus. He is at its center. He is the son. He is its hero, its theme, its song, its melody. The Bible is all about him. And he is the theme that holds the scriptures together. Now, the next thing that that informs us about all things being held together is that our salvation is held together by him. Watch this now. There continues to be this insidious teaching that the incarnation, the cross, and even eternal life is about us. It says that God did all this first and foremost because of our value, goodness, or worth in God's sight. Of course, this appeals to us because it exalts us, makes us feel important. But this is like the rooster thinking that the sun rises because of him so that he could show off how he crows. (laughs) Roosters naturally like doctrines that make them important. (laughs) The problem is that, that it simply isn't true. In fact, what does the next verse say about what God, why God has done all of this? Why has Christ created, sustained, incarnated, died, and accomplished this salvation? So that in everything, he might be preeminent. He, not we, Christ, not us. It's not all about us. It's all about him. It's most certainly was about our sin and his love for us and him bearing our guilt in in atoning for our sins. All of that is true and all marvelous and all wonderful. But these things accomplish a greater purpose. They were done for a more glorious reason so that in everything he might be preeminent. Saturdays, we're studying Ephesians, and yesterday it was beautiful for us to kind of go into into the first chapter of Ephesians. And when you go into the first chapter of Ephesians, you get a chance, read this, because it, it will really inform you as how much of this is really not about you. 
And I want us to get that today. It's not about us. The Bible says that all of those things that you find listed in that first chapter of Ephesians come down to one phrase, to the praise of his glory. Oh, yeah, give God praise for that. That's to the praise of his glory. God saves us not because we are so important, but he saves us to the praise of his own glory. Let me tell you why, why we, we need to get that. Because when we, think about, when we think about being saved to the praise of his glory, we've got to change our perceptions of God. God is not our cosmic errand boy. That we tell what we want, when we want it, and how to bring it to us. Oh, come on, just throw your hand up real fast. You prayed that prayer. Yeah, you did. You Don't let nobody see it. I just want you... You prayed that prayer. God, I need my rent paid. God, I need, I need a husband. God, I need a wife. God, I need my kids in order. God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I need this new car. Some of y'all went to the car dealer and laid hands on the car. I seen you out there. Oh, in the name of Jesus, this BMW gonna be mine. done it haven't we come on here you walk past that new house saw that for sale say oh in the name of jesus i'm getting 4500 square feet in jesus name (laughs) because we want this thing to be about us god does not exist to do your bidding see when you are god you can afford to do everything to your own glory. Who can come against you? Who can challenge you? I was talking with a brother just this week and we were talking about how, just how, how God really is. And think about this. A lot of times we thought that the book of Job was all about suffering. And here God in the first two chapters recommends Job for a trial. And he does this. And Job's trial begins And God goes silent. He doesn't speak again to the 38th chapter. And Job is wondering because Job is thinking that all this stuff is really about me. And Job is wondering, why did this happen to me? I've been good. I've been righteous. And the Lord, to the question Job asks of why, The Lord doesn't even answer his question. He starts with a question. You think it's about you, Job? Where were you when I hung the moon and the stars in the sky? Where were you when I stepped out on nothing and made something? Where were you when I said, let there be and there was? Can you, Job, if there's a Job in the house today, can you, Job, by thinking, add one inch to your height? It's not about you. To the praise of his glory. So those are the things that inform our salvation, that we are saved to the praise of his glory. And the last thing I want to share with you, that this text talks about, It's also the church. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about the the gathered church, but also the universal church. 
Colossians 1.18 says he is the head of the body, the church. Another example of Jesus as the answer to the theory of everything. It only stands to reason that the Savior of the church would be the head of the church. And this headship is a metaphor for leadership, for value, and for focus. Think medically of how the nervous system of the body meets in the spinal cord and the brain. Everything flows to there and everything flows from there. When Christ is the head of a local church, everything flows to him in terms of worship, service, sacrifice, and love. And everything flows from him in terms of life, energy, passion, direction, hope, and love. Does this describe the state of the body of Christ today? (laughs) Does this describe us? In a world that is so desperate for a real people of God, it has truly been more about us than about him. And for this, we must repent. I knew I wasn't going to get many amens on that one. We must hold Jesus high in our hearts and see him through the eyes of faith as the one whom this church is all about we must let him do what he is really good at saints holding things together if we hold him he will hold us if he can do it for the galaxies he can do it for us we must passionately and individually desire him love him and set our lives to him the one who unifies all things in himself And he can do it for you, my dear friend. Sin, hear me well on this. Sin brings chaos to a life. It fragments a life. It shatters a life. We see and feel the rubble all around us. It is especially devastating within the human heart to live with no reference point, no center, nothing that makes sense of everything, no theory of everything, and no hope either. The whole testimony of natural and divine revelation is crying out right now to all who would hear. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If you would turn from the darkness and chaos of sin, And by faith, step into the light of belief in Jesus as Savior and Lord. He will be a kind of son in your heart. And put all the planetary chaos of life in the proper orbit. Now, I want you to understand something. You give your life to Jesus. This doesn't mean this doesn't mean that you are always going to have sunny days. See, because it's all about him. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. All means all. There are times when bad things happen to good people. But again, it's all about Jesus. 
What does he bring to the table? He brings this cohesiveness, this glue that holds you together so that on your darkest, most hurtful day, you can lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up your everlasting doors and watch the king of glory come in. Why should you come to him? Because life eternal is all about him. Why spend all of your time worried about the place where you will spend the least amount of time instead of being concerned about the place where you will spend the most amount of time? When you transition from this life, you go into eternity. And one way or the other, it's going to be eternal life or eternal death. And you need to decide today. If you have not decided, choose life. And so I say to you, He is before all things and in him all things hold together. If your life is fragmented, come to him. If you need a mending, come to him. If you are broken, come to him. Because it's not about us. It's all about 